Let's pray together, shall we, and give thanks to God. Father, we are your children. Your word says we are the sheep of your pasture. We're under your care. Nothing will come to us without going over you first. We will be safe. We will be provided for. When we suffer, you will be with us. When death finally overtakes us, you will turn that final enemy into sweet victory to take us home, to be with you forever and enjoy the reward from our meager efforts and obedience to you. So help us to listen to your word with open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We have two open parking spaces out there. I wasn't... Uh... Yeah, it is. It's exciting unless you're in one of the last five cars coming in. Then it's a little, then it's a little frustrating. That is precisely why we are starting the Saturday service, not to be the cool church that has a Saturday service, but to share the love and the grace and the teaching of God's Word with people who otherwise can't be here on Sunday with us. Welcome. How you doing? I'm so glad. Uh, you missed a lot in the first service. I stumbled over this speaker right here and really delighted the 9 o'clock crowd. They, I think they were rooting for me to go all the way down. Uh, I didn't, because God is grace. Uh, God is gracious, not because I'm coordinated, but uh, I'm here, I made it, and I am delighted to talk to you for the final time today about this grace of Christian giving and getting from God's point of view right on the money. Look in your Bibles with me to please to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The single most important thing I can tell you that I hope has come right through, but if not, I want to be sure, is that from cover to cover in God's Word, in every season as He deals with His people, whether it's in Israel or the local church of Jesus Christ, which is His body on earth, that's why my giving is focused almost exclusively on the local church. It's the only thing that Jesus promised to build. Jesus describes the church, what we are, not we alone, but what we and many, many congregations all around the world are. He describes it as His body, also as His bride, as a household of God that He is building faithfully, built first on the foundation, on the cornerstone of Jesus Himself. Until the Lord's return, the local church is the primary way that God is accomplishing His will on earth. It's where I receive spiritual care and guidance as well. Yes, I give it. I'm a pastor and gratefully, grateful to God to be so. But I receive encouragement and strengthening because I'm like you. I'm part of this body as well. I'm not the head of the body. Jesus is. I am a member within it. And that means I have something to give, to contribute to my brothers and sisters that together form this body of Christ. But it also means that I have things that I need to receive from you without which I won't grow the way God intends me to. And all of the, every time the Scripture speaks about giving, in this case specifically, the giving of money, but whatever we are giving to God, the point of it all is that it is God-centered. When it comes to money, it's not a fundraising scheme. It's not a matter of human necessity and obligation. Paul, Jesus, every time the Scriptures address it, whoever is speaking, 
the Christian, the believer in ancient Israel is always addressed from God's point of view. And you see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we've reached verse 6. The first five verses of the chapter are very practical and very personal. His talk, Paul is talking about how the offering is going to be received. The Corinthians are going, as they had promised a year earlier, to give financially for the financial relief of impoverished Christians way over in Jerusalem, Christians they've never met. And after laying down some practical guidelines, which all churches and Christians are wise to follow, so that giving can be transparent and trustworthy and handled honestly, he comes to the heart of the matter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and for those of us who want to be Christian givers, it helps us answer three questions. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Paul writes, the point is this. He's been writing now a chapter and a half to them about their financial giving, and now he comes really to the heart of the matter, which is why he said the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, there's two verbs that we don't use very often in 21st century America, at least in Huntington Beach, California, sowing and reaping. Okay, let's put it in words that we're more accustomed to using. Sowing means planting, sowing with an O, not with, a, well, not with an E. Sowing with an O means that you're planting, you're throwing seed into the earth, and reaping means that you are harvesting. And Paul makes a very simple spiritual point based on an earthly reality. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, in other words, whoever plants sparingly will also reap or harvest sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, in other words, someone who plants generously will also reap or harvest bountifully. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the question for a Christian giver first is this, how big of a harvest do you want? See, Paul's using an analogy that should be pretty obvious to translate it into the spiritual world. A farmer who in planting season skimps on seed and says, I can't afford to plant very much. I don't want to waste all my seed by throwing it into the earth. I'll only plant 20% of my land. Let's just think through that for a second. If a farmer has five acres and he plants one, in how many acres will he harvest? One. And Paul says to the Corinthian believers, he's going to talk to them individually in the very next verse on a very personal level. But first he says, as you consider the question of your individual contribution, you need to be reminded of this. If you give a little, you'll harvest a little. If you give a great deal, you'll harvest a great deal, just like the farmer. That leads me, I think, to one of the greatest lies that Christians believe about their giving. Here it is. We believe that when we give it, it's gone. And it's not. Think again about the farmer. The farmer who is throwing seed into the earth isn't getting rid of it, is he? He's not discarding it. He's looking forward to something. What is it? The harvest. 
I'm sorry to be so, if that sounds like I'm being super pedantic and talking to you like children, I'm sorry. I just want to be clear. Because we do live in Southern, uh, we do live in Southern California in Orange County. One of my wife's junior high students discovered two weeks ago that cheeseburgers come from cows. So anytime the Bible uses farming analogies, I just want to make sure that everybody <laughs> is clear on the concept. Cheeseburgers and leather coats, this student find out, don't come from the store. They're purchased at the store, but they, the source is, is somewhere back there, uh, a little closer to the earth. Back to our farmer. A farmer planting never regrets throwing the seed into the earth. It never occurs to him that it's wasted or that it's discarded. He knows that God's blessing and the rain's coming a few months later, he'll have a harvest and he'll be able to feed his family. On my mother's side, there are farmers for generations. That, that side of the family is getting out of farming, but I remember as a very small boy being at a farmhouse in Kansas and watching my great-grandfather who owned the land looking out a big window at one of those ominous Kansas storms rolling in. And when it's explained to me, as young as I was, that we needed to pray because a destructive storm would wipe out months of work and keep this hardworking family from harvesting or earning anything after all that they'd done. With Christian giving, it's the same. When you give it, it's not gone. Your giving is no longer yours. It's out of your hands, to be very clear. It's out of your checking account. It's out of your bank and out of your control, but it's not gone. Paul's point and Jesus' point, using a different analogy, is just as the seed disappears into the earth, you're not getting rid of it. You're looking forward to a greater harvest. Paul, at the end of this chapter, tells them the kind of harvest they can expect. Look in verse 12. He says, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, in other words, the Christians to whom you're giving this money, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, as they receive it, they will look to God and thank God for the, your provision. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, when they receive and they eat again, They'll understand that you've believed the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and they will glorify God because of it and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you, in other words, while they who benefited from your gift, their hearts will be drawn toward you and they will pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So when the Corinthians gave, listen, it's the ancient world. They're not going on Facebook later to friend the saints back in Jerusalem and say, hey, could you send me a picture of your family? No, that's not happening. They give it, and it's, it's no longer in their hands. They'll only hear a report from the courier of how gratefully that was received. But Paul said, when you give, a lot of things are going to happen. Your gift will have its intended effect. It's really going to get there. That's why the other parts of this chapter talk about the human means to make sure that the money gets there in a trustworthy, reliable way. And they're going to turn and thank God for you. They're going to glorify God because of what you've done. Their hearts are going to be drawn towards you. 
and they're going to be grateful because and pray for you because they know that God's surpassing grace has been upon you. And the cause, the root of all this is God who gave his inexpressible, inexplicable, unfathomable gift. What did God give? His son, Jesus. That's the root of giving. That's why Christian giving is God-centered. So, when it comes time for you to decide week to week or every other week or every other month whenever God prospers you and gives you income, the question, Paul says, should not be how much do I have to give, but think of it in terms of the farmer. How big of a harvest do I want to receive? How much impact do I want to gather up for myself? Jesus used a different analogy to explain it. He said in the famous Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy and thieves break in and steal. Jesus said, while you live here as my disciples, don't pile it all up here because it's foolish and risky. It may be destroyed or it may be stolen from you. That's the reality of all earthly wealth. It can all be gone in a moment. A storm, an attack, a fraudulent manager, all kinds of things can happen to earthly wealth. That's why people devise so many means to try to be safe, but the best of means can be quickly overtaken by circumstance, natural disaster, and dishonest people. Remember 2008? Everybody thought it was great. And then a lot of people who thought they had security and were looking forward to enjoying their later years find themselves in a world of trouble. I had a friend in the oil business in Houston who told me what a devastating effect the Enron fraud and scandal had on people because many Enron employees, believing what their company was telling them about their financial power, had put every single thing they owned into the company. And instead of enjoying the rest of their lives, they watched some of the highest officers in the company get handcuffed and go off to prison instead. And you went from enjoying your life to finding some menial employment in your old age just to make sure you have enough to eat. That's Jesus' warning. Don't pile up as much of it as as you can here because it can break, thieves can break in and steal or something can happen to destroy it. Instead, he said, store your treasures up in heaven where it's never at risk. God will keep it safe. See, that's the beauty of this harvest. Every single thing given into God's kingdom, given into the expression and the will of God's work, whatever humans do with it, will bring up an eternal harvest. And the first question for the giver is, how much do I want? How much do I want to participate? What kind of harvest do I want later to enjoy? Verse 7 poses a second question. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I hope that gives you some freedom. Every individual Christian who has money at his disposal, who has something to give, something to share, Paul says, must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
In other words, not in response to outward pressure or not with a sense of mourning and sadness because I'm writing this check or authorizing this withdrawal automatically from my account. And, <sighs> because here's the most surprising verse in the chapter. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, and here's why. Because what? God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that's kind of curious, isn't it? Just to check some biblical foundations. Of the money you and I have, we each individually control. How much of it is God's? Correct. Some people say the tithe is the Lord's. No, it's all the Lord's. He has it all. You say, well, I earned it. Yes, with the strength and with the intelligence and the opportunities He gave you. I was a cocky seventh grader, which is a bad age to be cocky if you think about it. And my grandma helped me by buying me a T-shirt. The T-shirt said, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bull. Grandma saw me working, and she just wanted to know every time I saw or wore that T-shirt that she saw what I was up to. And when I asked about the T-shirt, she said, well, Bruce, I see how you act, and I, need you, I just needed you to know you could have just as easily been born disabled. Ouch. You know, where's the hot chocolate and the cookies that generally come with grandmothers? But she's right. I could have been born that way, I could still be that way. There's nothing you and I have that can't be taken back in a moment. The height of human pride achieves and then steps back and looks at the bounty and says, look what I have done. No, it's all from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. It's all from Him. Your health, your wealth, your intelligence, the talent, the friendships, the grace you've been given in the sight of your employer, whatever you earn, wherever you earn, whether it's minimum wage or you're making more money than you ever imagined possible, it all comes from God. You are merely His manager. He's the owner. I know that's true because we won't take any of it with us. In the heady 80s when people were making tons of money, it seemed to me at my young age, I saw this dumb bumper sticker that started circulating, maybe the dumbest thing ever placed on a bumper sticker, and that's heavy competition if you think about it. There's some stupid things that can be reduced to the size of a bumper sticker. I bet you've heard it before. It said, he who dies with the most toys wins. No. He who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs> and the toys stay here for somebody else to fight over. Somebody said, you know, when the, when the game's over, it all goes back in the box. No, when the game's over, you go in the box, and the toys stay here for somebody else to fight over. All you and I are managers. We have this brief vapor of a life. That's how the Bible describes it. We have a stewardship, and Scripture says anyone who is a manager must be found faithful. That's the requirement. If they place you in management, and you've been given a great deal to manage… You've been given your life that didn't depend upon you, and the quality of your life was a gift of God to
to you. If you suffer from lack or you enjoy great abundance in your health, your life, your intelligence, your wealth, that all comes from God. And that's why Paul says God loves a cheerful giver because it all comes from Him. And when God sees that one of His kids has developed a character like His own who is generous to give, who doesn't see the things that he's been given as benefiting him, but only under his stewardship to be a blessing and a help to others, God loves that. He delights in it. Many years ago, I was still in seminary, but the story stuck with me forever. I heard a pastor tell a story of taking his young son to McDonald's. And the pastor, being a, a dad and getting up a little bit in years, was going to be good. And he got himself an iced tea and ordered his young child an artery-clogging, you know, heart-stopping, body-defiling uh, meal from McDonald's <laughs> with a large fry. And he sat across the little plastic table watching his kid eat his cheeseburger and gobble his fries. And then, as always happens with fries, you see somebody else with McDonald's fries. What always happens? You want some. It's inevitable. I'm pretty sure it's witchcraft. It's probably illegal what they're doing over there to just make them so immediately desirable. But he said to his son, he says, buddy, can I have some of those? And the kid said, no, and put a little fort of an arm around the fries and looked up at his dad with challenging expression like, no, these are, these are mine. And fathers will understand the response. It annoyed the pastor a little bit. He thought to himself, my kid's not thinking it through. I can go back up to the counter and get my own fries. In fact, he said he considered burying his child in fries. $100 worth of French fries, please. Here, you little ungrateful, stingy wretch. And he got to thinking about that, and he thought to himself how often he and other Christians he knew behaved like that child at McDonald's. God owns it all. He has all of it. What He is asking, not asking, what He is instructing cover to cover His children, whether it's believers in ancient Israel or Christians living after the death and resurrection of Jesus, what He is telling His children to do is to be disciplined, consistent, generous givers. And when we are Paul says plainly that delights God. God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, one of the struggles in the human heart, and that's why Paul says that everyone must give as they decide in their own heart. One of the struggles in our culture is that it's nobody's business to tell me what to do with my money. And you're right about that with one beautiful saving exception. There is one who can tell you exactly what to do with his money, and that is the owner of it all who gave it to you in the first place. There's this Latin phrase that people have adopted. Maybe you've heard it, carpe diem. Have you heard that? What's it mean? Seize the day. It often precedes amazing displays of stupidity on YouTube. Somebody goes out to carpe diem and ends up with compound fractures. Okay? Can I give you a better Latin phrase? Coram Deo. 
And that means in the face, in the presence of God. See, you and I live our whole lives truly before one judge. He will evaluate. The money I have, every opportunity I've been given, the family I've been blessed with, this beautiful opportunity and blessing of pastoring this church, that's all, a, that's all a management. That's all a stewardship in my life. It doesn't belong to me. Someday all of it will be taken from me, and the responsibilities I have now will someday be given to another. And what I have to do if I'm going to be a faithful follower of Jesus is realizing, realize every single thing I've been given, including my money, I am earning and spending and saving and giving and using all of that, coram Deo, before the presence of God. God is looking and evaluating, will someday call me to account for everything He placed in my care. So when people say, my giving is between God and me, that shouldn't lessen the importance and the urgency. It's like I've noticed people who are sometimes angrily shouting, only God can judge me. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? They're usually doing things that God has expressly said in writing that He will judge. Every single one of us will be called to account. Believers in Jesus Christ will be hidden behind the person of Christ, and we will be welcomed as children. But make no mistake, as children, we will give an account for the things we were given. That's why Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. He's like that father who has loved and sacrificed so much, finally seeing in the lives of his children as they grow up the beginnings of generosity. And those of you who are parents will know exactly what I mean. When you see your grown children making great sacrifices on behalf of others, it is the most moving, beautiful thing ever. Because you know you can't compel that. It has to be given. It has to be the grace working in their hearts that makes it happen. So your giving, it truly is between you and God. There's no pressure here. I hope and pray to God you're feeling no pressure from me. Here's my role. I'm just opening up verse by verse, word by word, what God told you to do with your money. What you do with it really is between you and Him. But my hope for you and what God is telling you to do is that you should aim to delight Him. Not to give to be seen by others, not to give to be praised by other people, but to give in such a way that God looks down from heaven and says, I love what I see my kid doing. He's finally moved to the point where he understands that what I've given him is not for him, that he really is, as we say, blessed to be a blessing. Here's what Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Yes, my giving is between me and God. I have to decide in my heart, but I will answer for my choices and for my motivations. The reason I'm telling you all this and hopefully making this clear, and hopefully you see a little bit of the passion in it, is because I have seen what God says next happen over and over and over and over again everywhere I've ever gone where the gospel has been preached. Because there's a third question, and it begins in verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound 
to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he's going to go back to his planting analogy. And he's going to tell, having told them that he wants them to be generous planters or to at least realize that if they plant and give a lot, it will have a great impact. It will build up for them a greater harvest. He says in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvestness of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What is Paul saying here? He is saying that once you begin giving, you can rely upon God to continue to supply for you that He will meet your generosity with His continued provision, and that He can and will provide everything you need so that you can abound in every kind of good work. And that as you're taking that hard-earned financial money like seed and throwing it into the earth of ministry in the name of Jesus, here or all around the world, God is able to provide more and more seed so that you can continue to be generous. Look in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. As you begin developing generosity, God will provide for you so that you can be more generous, not so that you can be wealthy. See, this passage is the very kind of passage that hucksters, often on television, not always, but often on television, twist for their own enrichment. And they twist it to say this, you give a little bit here, God will cover you up with wealth. And they show cars, and they show airplanes. There was a local guy on TV that showed his beautiful female entourage, followed him everywhere. You want the good life? Give. God will enrich you. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying as you begin to be generous, God will continue to supply to you so that you can grow ever more generous. So the question is, do you trust God to provide for you? Because the single greatest practical reason that Christians don't get started giving is they think if they give it, it's gone, and if they give it, there'll never be enough for them. They'll run out. As if God were stingy or stupid or unloving and would respond to their generosity by cutting them off and making sure that they didn't have enough for themselves. It's never going to happen. The reason I'm so passionate about this is I've seen it, I mean, everywhere. I had the blessing of growing up outside of the United States and to travel both with my parents and as a missionary later on my own with my wife and kids to countries in generally very poor countries. And I know that the hucksters on TV are wrong because I've met amazingly generous, faithful, sacrificial Christians, and they're poor. And their luxury car is never coming. But I've also seen this. I've seen that they, like the Macedonians, give out of their deep poverty, and God continues to miraculously provide for them. 
And every time they're provided for, they can't help but see His hand in it, and they look vertically, not horizontally, and they see that their Heavenly Father, as He has done for my family countless times, has come through for them yet again, and it makes this love relationship between father and child grow ever and ever stronger. And rather than hoard it to themselves as God provides, they grow more trusting, more faithful, more confident that God will continue to show up, and they continue to give, and they continue to sacrifice, and someday all of those people and many of us will stand before Jesus and realize that God has never conned anybody out of anything. And nobody will ever stand before Jesus and see the full account of what we gave and what God did with it, and none of us will ever be disappointed. And do you really think that's what's going to happen? You're going to get to heaven and be disappointed and say to the Lord, I I trusted you too much. My bitter neighbor tried to warn me that you would do this. No. Everyone will be delighted. Everyone will be provided for. That's what Paul's trying to tell you here, that you simply can't outgive him. Two years ago, a lady in our church who's been a great encouragement to me since I was a college student in this church before we went, left the country. I think we were out on the porch, told me her giving story. Some of you have seen it. Because it was so simple, so clear, so practical, I said, Jackie, that's so awesome, I'd like to record it. From time to time, I'd like to share that with people because people are skeptical of pastors, and I get that. Would you mind if we told your story? So then and now, she said, we can use it any time. Listen to Jackie Phillips and how she learned to trust God to provide for. Hi, I'm Jackie Phillips, and I've been a member of Crosspoint since 1991, and I wanted to share my tithing story. When I first started coming to Cross Point, uh, I was a single mom with two little kids, and money was very, very tight. And I was probably attending for over a year until the Lord put on my heart that I needed to start tithing, and I was scared to death. As an example, the last week of every month, I would borrow a roll of toilet paper from my office and I would take it back after I got paid at the end of the month because we didn't have any. Um, One can of Campbell's Chicken and Star Soup would get two cans of water added to it and my kids would have it for dinner two nights in a row. Uh, It was just, it was so hard. And I'm like, Lord, how can you be telling me that I need to give you money when my kids go to bed hungry now? And I argued and I fought and and God and I argued and he just kept saying, do it, do it. And I'm, I'm like, how can I, how can I? So finally, I took a deep breath, and I decided that I would start giving $55 a month. Well, now, $55 a month in 1991 was a week's worth of groceries at my house, and I can't tell you how scary it was. And at that time, our... um, 
church still had the blue movie seats. And we had ushers that had to wear these really nice blue blazers and ties. And I'm sitting literally clutching the hands of the seat the first time I put that offering in. And, it, and I'm hanging on because if I didn't, I was going to jump out of my seat and tackle that usher and get my envelope back because that was a whole week's worth of groceries. And that last week of the month, we didn't have groceries anyway. Well... Long story short, I didn't get a raise, I didn't shop any differently, I didn't start getting child support, there was no more money coming in, I didn't run out of toilet paper, I didn't run out of milk, I didn't run out of cereal, we didn't have to water down one can of Campbell's soup, it lasted, and the only thing, the only thing that changed was I started giving that $55 a month, so don't be scared. Um, I encourage my friends that don't tithe to set, pick a set amount. You know, don't, if 10% just scares you beyond belief, pick a set amount enough to where it hurts you, where you feel it, and start giving it on a monthly basis. And watch, just, just watch what God will do. Uh, a few years ago, I was given a scholarship to attend Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University here at Cross Point, and I did, and today I am debt-free. The only debt that I have is my mortgage. After renting for almost 30 years, three years ago, yesterday, September 2nd, I bought a condo. And God is, God is so good. You just, you just have to take that first step of faith and give. You can trust God to provide. The first time I had money of my own, my mother taught me this, taught me what a tithe was. Seemed like a lot. And I squ protested a little bit, and she said these simple words, Bruce, you can't outgive God, and you can't. Some of you are in a position where you're just getting started. Some of you have been blessed so much that for God to be your priority, you have to move well beyond the tithe. What is it that God's after? Not your money, your heart. He wants you to not only know but to experience that you can't outgive Him. He wants you to have peace that you've done the things with your money that He has told you to do, that you've provided for your family, that you've worked as He told everyone to work if they're able, that you've made wise decisions and you've chosen wisdom over debt and you've been a generous giver. And with that, as, you're, as with God as the owner and you as the manager, you can sit back and sleep at night and have peace and look forward someday to a great harvest because trust me, church, you can't outgive Him. And the saddest thing I see, and it's not only in the United States, it's all over the world because the battle is always in the human heart. Wherever that human heart lives and whatever language that person speaks, the battle is always to answer this question, whether God can be trusted to provide. Some of you have heard this and will hear this over and over again, but your faith falters and you can't get started. And I can tell you from seeing it and from having people sometimes with tears in their eyes tell me their stories, you'll be forever on a treadmill of keeping with tight 
closed fist all that you have for yourself and never trusting your heavenly Father enough to begin being generous and then watch what He does. That's Jackie's story. Anyone who has learned to give could tell you their own. Sometimes it's astonishing and miraculous, and sometimes it's as ordinary as the daily bread that Jesus taught His disciples to pray for. I know this, at every season in life, if you are God's child, you cannot outgive your Father. Let's pray. Could I give you a moment to talk to the Lord about it? Tell Him you'll start, or if you started, that you'll go farther. You can have a great harvest. You may not have much to give, but God can turn it into a great harvest. That's why Jesus praised the widow who gave the two little coins and said that she had given more than anyone because she gave out of poverty. You can trust God to provide the harvest. As you give, you can learn to do it cheerfully. You may do it as Jackie did and as I did for the first time fearfully. And given time, your Father will gain your heart because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart always follows your money. So if you're generous toward God, as Jesus also said, your heart will grow increasingly peaceful and confident, and you'll learn to sit back and watch what your Father does because He will provide. You can't outgive Him. The most lavish promises, even a dare in Scripture. In Malachi, God said to Israel, try me. Try me in this. Test me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. God knows how fearful we are. He knows how hard it is. That's why He promises. He gives us a picture of the harvest that is to come. He promises to be with us every day. He even offers a dare. Try me and see what happens. That's my prayer invitation for you right now, that all of you would pray and say, God, help me trust you more, more than I currently do. Father, move in every heart, do a work of grace in the hearts here, as you did in Macedonia. You've done this for thousands of years, wherever people have dared to trust you. You keep showing up so that you get the glory, and our hearts run back up to heaven and see that you've done something greater than we could ever expect. So help everyone here. Help the young person who's just getting started. Help the teenager who just got his first job. Makes a few bucks an hour. Help him to trust you. Do the same, Lord, with those who have been greatly blessed and enriched. Help them see the potential for the harvest in what you've stewarded into their lives for a brief time. Lord Jesus, if there's someone here who hasn't seen the greatest gift of all, which is you dying on that cross and coming to life to give eternal life in place of judgment of sin, if someone's been on that line, cause them now, Lord, to be moved by your grace to cross it and trust you. That will be the harvest. That will be the greatest thing ever. Bless this offering as we give it. Provide for every giver. Provide income and employment for those who lack it so that we may all see your hand at work in Jesus' name.